Let's see how sharp you guys are this early Saturday morning. How do you spell silk? Let's hear it. No, come on, all together. S-I-L-K. Would a cow's drink? <laughs> Half of the guys, water. Uh, you, you see, you're pretty sharp this morning. Some of you said milk. I heard you. That wasn't me, I didn't say that. Um, yeah. Uh, Steve's mother had three children. The first child was named April. The second child was named May. What was the third child's name? <laughs> See, you guys know all these. That's, that's too old. So, yeah, so, so, some people would say June, but uh, I said it was Steve's mother. So anyway, okay, one more. <laughs> you, I, I can't get you guys. You're too sharp. Why, why is it against the law for a person living in New York to be buried in California? Because he's still alive, yeah. You know, you say, Brett, that's dumb. Uh, you know what's even more dumb than that is the way Satan can deceive people so easy. Like you say, Brett, those are just parlor tricks. You know, you, know, you get the word silk and you plant it in people's head and then they, then they, they kind of say milk. Unless they know something's coming, they might be a little leery. But, but a lot of people that don't really think about it, they're like, oh yeah, cows drink milk. Oh wait, no, they don't. Uh, you think that's just a little parlor trick? Well, that's, that's really all Satan has, is a bunch of little tricks that he uses to trick people and to deceive people. He's a liar and a deceiver. Uh, that's what Satan really is. Uh, the Bible is clear on this. And, and, and I think he's gotten pretty good at duping people. Um, people are getting bamboozled. I like that word. We need to bring that back, bamboozled by Beelzebub. Uh, are, are you someone who's ba easily bamboozled by Beelzebub? Uh, because Satan runs the same tricks over and over and over again. And, and one of the things that I think uh, particularly men are called to in the church of Jesus Christ, um, and again, there's gonna be people that really don't like what I'm saying here because men and women can do exactly the same thing. Uh, that's, that's one of Satan's deceptions, by the way. I saw a cover of a magazine when I was in the grocery store and uh, there's a, a picture of a, a guy that sort of looked like a man sort of from here up, but was, had a big pregnant belly. Man, you know, gives birth to baby. And, um, and I think, man, people are so deceived. That's actually a biological woman uh, who's giving birth to a baby. And, and yet the world wants to believe that it's a man giving birth. And, and people, people believe that with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength that uh, there's men that can deliver babies. They, they believe that. How, how did that happen? You know, if you would have asked any of us, if you're, if you're alive at the time, 20 years ago, would there be people that believe men can give birth to babies? Uh, we would have said, yeah, no, never. Nobody would ever be that stupid to believe such a thing. But now, like half of our population would say, yeah, men can give birth to children. And you know, it's like, uh, where did that come from? It came from Satan's deceiving, you know, uh, little tricks that he often uses. And it's, it's an old, old trick. It's the same play over and over and over again. Um, and, and really that's what I'd like to talk about is, uh, you know, um, what's the role of men in the church, in the family, in the home as leaders? One of the biggest responsibilities you and I have as brothers is to catch the deceiving, the, you know, stop the, the lies, to, to not let them be promoted in our families, in our homes, and in our communities. Not to stand around, well, I guess, I guess men can give birth to babies, I, I guess. Like, there's a lot of men that are sort of apathetic 
Um, but I do believe um, men and women are different. I think men and women are wired different. God gives us different talents and giftings. And I know there's a, a, probably a, a scale a, uh, you know, of, of uh, what we're really good at versus what we're not compared to women. But I would say women are really great at a lot of things and men are really great at a lot of things. We're just different. Um, but one of the things men are supposed to be good at is discerning wackoness. We should be able to smell out deception from Satan. Um, and we're supposed to be good at that. And that's, by the way, the reason God says, I want men to lead the church. One of the big deceptions that's happened in the church of Jesus Christ, and again, this is not popular, but it never stops me and I don't care what's popular really. Um, but what the Bible says is men are to lead the church in the area of pastoring and eldering. Elders and pastors are called to be men in the church. Um, does anybody remember why did God say that um, um, to, you know, through Paul to Timothy? Because it was not Adam who was deceived, but it was the woman who was deceived. See, here's the thing, George Fox College, who hates us, um, because we're a complementarian church where we believe men should lead the church in the pastoring and eldering of a church. There's, and we don't have women elders or pastors. So we're hateful, misogynistic. Uh, they teach that over at George Fox. Uh, we've had a bunch of students you know, come and say, Pastor Brett, my teacher at George Fox told us, whatever you do, don't go to that horrible Athey Creek Christian Fellowship. Uh, it's because we don't have women pastors, you know. They have many arguments. One of their arguments is, well, you know, that was just Paul talking to Timothy. There was the goddess Diana in Ephesus. And so because there was this goddess thing going on in Ephesus, um, that was just specifically for Ephesus, for Timothy. Um, the reason that argument is so goofy and bamboozled by Beelzebub is because Paul says, here's why men should lead the church. And he doesn't go to Ephesus. He doesn't talk about the first century. He doesn't even talk about the, 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 you know, the BC days. He actually goes to the very beginning of all time and says, the reason why men lead the church is because of what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Um, and because of that, men are supposed to lead the church. See, he goes outside of culture and Ephesus, and the example that Paul gives is, is one of all humanity. And, and by the way, um, this just shows itself so practically in so many ways. Um, as someone who kind of keeps the finger on the pulse of you know, what's going on around the world and, and um, religion and stuff like that, I, I do watch a lot of things. But one of the things you'll notice is all the weirdness within so-called Christianity. Um, that, you know how Christianity, some of it kind of ebbs into a little bit of new age. Have you guys seen that? Uh, new age creeping in. New age is the old lie. It's the oldest lie in the book. Uh, it's called new age, but it's an old lie. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, which we're gonna look at here. But you'll find 99.999% of all new age thought and, and things that have tweaked out the church come from women leaders in the church. Just check it out. Uh, the, who's, you know, some of the big new age names, maybe some of you are old enough to remember Shirley MacLaine as she ran down the beach. I am God, I am God. And, you know, awaking the goddess within and blah, blah, blah. It moved from what, you know, from kind of spirituality to, to new age. Oprah Winfrey started out as kind of a Christian, but then she moved and started to ebb more into new age. And now she's like one of the greatest leaders. If you don't know, there's millions and millions of women. Some of you might say, why are you always joking around about Oprah being like Buddha or Gandhi or Muhammad or Allah uh, or whatever? Because she's, she's like a, 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 you know, a religious guru in and of her, her own right. She's got millions and millions of followers in her book club sort of 
New Age uh, uh, kind of paraphernalia that she uses, books and all this stuff. It's, it's crazy stuff, actually. But women just eat it up. You don't see a lot of men jumping on the Oprah Winfrey bandwagon. It's all women. Now, I'm not knocking women. Um, women, I think, one of the reasons they're susceptible to being deceived by these kind of weird spiritual things is because women just innately are more spiritual than men are, which is actually a really uh, beautiful thing. I, I'm so thankful for the women in Athey Creek because there's a depth and a spiritual desire to go deeper and to be worshipful and to have a passion toward the Lord, which sometimes we as men are a little more bumps on the log, you know, just sitting around going, well, theology, you know, uh, which is great. I love theology and doctrine. But having a love for Christ and a relationship with God, I've just noticed the women tend to kind of be better examples of what that should look like than oftentimes we men. At the same time, we men often uh, hold on to the things that are more solid when it comes to um, biblical teaching. Um, by the way, one of the things I'm so thankful for of our women's ministry, and, and you know, honestly, our women's ministry get, takes heat uh, from the outside world because, um, you know, the gals that teach in the women's studies, like next week when Devoted's teaching, Amy McReynolds will be teaching the ladies. And she's as solid as they come. Uh, and she spends a lot of time reminding that men are to lead the church and, and wives are supposed to follow the leadership of the men in the church. Like, like she's teaching the things that are not popular with George Fox and in a lot of the world, but she's doing it well. I'm thankful that we have a group of women that actually say we really care about what the Bible says and we're not gonna try to twist scripture to sort of fit the culture of the day. Um, and you know, one of the most dangerous things is all these women uh, you know, influencers on social media or women speakers that go around speaking at churches and stuff and, and their doctrine is where it starts going a little cattywampus. Be wary of that. Um, husbands, are you covering your wives in what they're listening to? Um, you know, it's amazing how much bad theology is coming out of certain ministries of these women that probably some of your wives are following and thinking are awesome. And um, you're like, well, that's my wife. She's, she can do whatever she wants. Wrong. You are the husband. You're supposed to be lovingly covering your wife to make sure that, you know, you're, you're the one that's kind of so, supposed to discern, uh, you know, what's coming into my home? Um, what, what is my family starting to embrace? Um, and, and I've seen a lot of men wonder, wow, wow what did, when did my wife start thinking this way? And why did she start embracing that notion? And, you know, um, it's interesting to watch all the women that, that were maybe considered more mainstream 10, 15 years ago um, that have got off the rails. If you're talking about Jen Hatmaker or Beth Moore, like there's people that, you know, your, your, your wives are probably following that were once kind of deemed more solid, but they've gone off the rails. And it's just kind of heartbreaking. Well, Brett, that's my wife's fault. You should be talking to them. Wrong. You are the man. Man up. Be a covering. Don't be a dupe. Don't be bamboozled by Beelzebub. That's what happens here in Genesis chapter three. Let's just take a look and remind ourselves what happened there in the garden. That's the thing Paul references when he talks about this in the, in the book of uh, 1 Timothy. But it's, it's Genesis chapter three. And we start there uh, in verse one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the uh, woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. 
But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. When I colored this picture in Sunday school, when I was a kid, they always had, you know, Eve standing there by herself by the tree with some leaves in the proper place to make sure, you know, it wasn't completely the story. Um, and, you know, you'd color and you see Eve there eating of the fruit. That was the problem. And one of the problems with the coloring pictures, it was, it was wrong because uh, I believe Adam was standing right there next to her. Uh, why do you believe that, Brett? Because it says it right there. Uh, she eats of the fruit and then hands her husband and says, uh, it's good, uh, take a bite. And he's like, okay, and he eats. Um, question, throughout history, who really gets blamed for the original sin? Is it Adam or is it Eve? Adam. Adam gets blamed. You know, even theologically in the New Testament, Paul would say, you know, Adam's the original sinner in that sense. And you think, well, how's that? Eve's the one. She should get blamed. Well, Eve does get hit for this because right here, but also what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 that we just talked about. But, but um, this, notice the serpent didn't go to Adam. He went to Eve. Uh, why did he do that? Um, I think, you know, the serpent was more subtle and there was a certain, you know, uh, trickery that the serpent wanted to do to sort of win over uh, the earth to himself. Uh, you know, it's a, quite a dastardly thing that happened. But um, the, the, the problem here really right at the beginning is the serpent gets Eve to thinking about things. Once we start thinking about stuff, you know, it's, it's interesting. Have you ever thought about temptation? Temptation starts with a thought. Temptation doesn't start with an action. Um, temptation starts with a thought. And that's where Satan, that's where he camps out, in that process between the thought and then the action. Uh, you know, temptation itself is not sin because we know Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are tempted. Jesus was tempted yet without sin. So, so temptation is not sin, but once you act on that temptation, that's when it became sin. Um, but it's, you know, it's funny that distance from where the first thoughts of temptation come to what you do with those thoughts. Um, we even see a bit of a progression in the story, you know, when it says, and when the woman saw, she looked at the food, uh, verse six, that it was good, it looked tasty. She's thinking about it and she's thinking more and more about it. Oh, that looks really delicious. And it was also pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise. Um, this is what she's thinking. We know what she's thinking is that she's like, well, Satan or Lucifer here, this little creature, um, says God's wrong on this one. How could God be wrong? Oh, but man, he's right. It does look beautiful. Oh, it looks great. This is the, you guys recognize this and so do I. We recognize this as the way of Satan, the way of temptation. Um, and it all begins with a thought. Um, now, before we go deeper into this, would you keep your finger here in Genesis? And flip over to Nehemiah chapter six. I want to take a, a little detour here for a second. Nehemiah, keep your finger in Genesis, but go to Nehemiah chapter six. Um, and there's an interesting story here. And I, <clears throat> I love this. This is kind of a, a, a one of many. I could have picked probably 20 
great stories of the Old Testament that would have fit this perfectly. But I do love this story um, just because of the, the symbology of temptation and, and the way the enemy works. Um, this is more the way the enemy works with men. Um, again, I always like to kind of chuckle about how God caused Eve to fall rather than causing Adam to fall. Eve was tempted by enlightenment, becoming more like God. Um, and uh, notice Adam wasn't really even tempted by that. It was like if, if Adam were there by the tree and he says, You're, you'll be like God, your eyes will be open. Adam would have, hmm, and walked away. Because that's just dudes. We're not like, oh, I'd love to have my eyes opened and find my third eye of understanding. I mean, there are guys that think that way, but I've noticed they tend to be a little soft. I'm, I'm not trying to be um, mean. I'm just saying, guys that get into that kind of new agey stuff, it's just kind of a, it's, it's not a right way to act or think. Um, but the man, how does, that, how does that look? Well, this is like, here's a man being tempted in an interesting way, but Nehemiah is the guy who gets it right. I love this. It's, it's chapter six, verse one. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabian, um, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall that, um, and there was no breach left there. And though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. Now pause, what's going on here is Nehemiah is sent by Artaxerxes to go restore, rebuild the, the wall around Jerusalem after the captivity of Babylon. So there's just a handful of Jews that came back from Babylonian captivity. And now they're in danger. They're trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem while there's enemies all around that don't want that to happen. Uh, they don't want walls around Jerusalem because the enemies wanna you know, pick on the Jews. So the Jews are constantly trying to build the wall they're still very vulnerable because he's got the walls pretty much done. There's no more breaches in the walls, but he hasn't hung the gates of the city yet. So they're still wide open to trouble. It was during that time of vulnerability, uh, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arabian, uh, start uh, you know, messing around. It says in verse two, that Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me saying, come, let us meet together in some of the villages in the plain of Ono but they thought to do me mischief. What's going on here? These guys, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem say, hey, Nehemiah, what, take a break, man. Come over here to the plain of Ono. Um, does Ono sound like a good place to go? <laughs> oh no. I'm trying to break up the band just like Yoko. Sorry. But the plain of Ono, uh, I, I love that Nehemiah, he even sort of says it out loud. But I, I think they want to do me mischief. He's discerning. He's, he's recognizing these enemies. They're trying to sort of woo him. Hey, take a break, bro. Come and chill with us in oh no. And, and Nehemiah says, I'm pretty sure they want to mess with me and do me mischief. Well, verse three, and I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent me four times after this sort, and I answered to them after the same manner. Come on down, four times after that. Come down and hang with us, man. No, why would I leave a good work that I'm doing now just to hang out with you? I've got work to do. I love, you know, Nehemiah's, you know, just readiness to, to smell a rat. He sees these guys are messed up and tweaked out, and he's not gonna, he's not gonna entertain even one second with these guys. You gotta love that about Nehemiah. But verse five, then sent Sanballat. Now, okay, the first section there that we just saw, verses one through four, is um, you know, uh, trying to, to mess up Nehemiah through negotiation. That's, that was their tactic. 
But when he couldn't get, when Sambalat, Tobiah, and Gisham couldn't get Nehemiah through negotiation, come on down, man, we'll talk in the plain of Ono. Instead of negotiating, now it's gonna move to intimidation. This is what the enemy does, by the way, Satan, our enemy. This is a great picture of you know, Satan's devices right here. So the intimidation starts coming in verse five. Then sent Sabalat, uh, his servant, unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Um, you know, it's almost like the open letter is, is a way of saying it's sort of broadcast. It's like uh, take out a full page ad in the newspaper kind of thing. Uh, you know, this is, this is going public. Verse six, wherein it was written, it is reported among the heathen that Gisha, uh, Gashmu uh, said that, it, uh, that thou and the Jews think to rebel for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, there's a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Now they're saying, hey, there's a word, the word on the street is you guys are rebelling. You're building a wall because you want to go to war with us. You better come and talk to us now. So no longer, is it, let's chill in oh no. It's, you better come here or else. We, we're, we're, you know, uh, Gashmu, the gossip, uh, has been saying, you guys are, you, you wanna be the king and you're building a wall to, to rebel against all of us. Um, all of that was lies. Verse eight. Then I sent to, to him saying, there are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thy own heart. Fake news is what he's saying. That's what it is. That's just fake. You guys are making it up. Verse nine, for they all made us afraid saying their hands shall be weakened from the work that it not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. What does he do? Oh, Nehemiah is brilliant. Now they're trying to intimidate him. And what does he do? He says, I'm not gonna be intimidated by you. You guys are a bunch of liars. And he calls them out for what they are, very plainly, very clearly. But I like this last phrase. He turns to the Lord and says, oh God, strengthen my hands. I wonder, I wonder how weak Nehemiah felt. <clears throat> they were saying he was gonna be weakened, his hands were gonna be weakened. <clears throat> but the very accusation they were making about his having weakened hands, he turns to God and says, oh Lord, strengthen my hands. And I love that, what, I've got that marked in my Bible. Um, and if you keep reading the story, Nehemiah stands strong. But the key is, Nehemiah, <clears throat> the subtle approaches of the enemy in this story are clear. Um, but what would have happened had Eve had the same spirit of Nehemiah. You know, um, when, you know, Satan came subtly to her saying, hey, hath God really said you should not eat of this fruit, but you'll actually not die. And if you eat of it, you'll make one wise and it'll be awesome. You'll, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. Um, Eve should have just shut that down. Um, but, but as it turns out, she just somehow didn't have that in her to do that. And she didn't perceive or have you might say spiritual discernment to know that what was coming her way was satanic, demonic, evil coming her way. Um, there is somebody in the garden that should have discerned that though. And it wasn't Eve, it was Adam. Adam's the one that should have been the, the Nehemiah in the story where he should have said, you're a liar. I, you're, you're, that's fake news. And you're questioning God and his word and there's no place for that here. We're not gonna listen to you. Come on Eve, let's go. 
Like, now, now um, don't get me wrong. Um, Adam sinned just like we all would have sinned. I think we all, you know, um, we've all sinned. We all have it. We were born in sin. Uh, I think we, we inherited that sin nature uh, throughout all of humanity. We all have that same sin nature. But um, as it turns out, Satan is not that creative in the way that he attacks humanity, um, but he is consistent. He, he really only runs a few plays over and over again, and it's the same old plays. Uh, trying to intimidate, trying to uh, deceive and lie and, and question God. In fact, um, the, I'm gonna go over uh, five, Satan's five big plays. There's probably a few more, but, but I've noticed Satan runs the same old plays over and over and over again. Um, it's like that play we've talked about. You know, if you can run up the middle with your you know, fullback who's powerful and get 10 yards every time, you're just gonna keep running that play over and over again if it works. Um, that's what Satan does. He doesn't have a big, huge playbook, but the one that he uses tends to work. And a lot of it's because a lot of times we as men are being duped. Either we're being deceived and duped or we're, we're apathetic and we're just letting our families go by the wayside because I ah, let the kids learn. They're gonna learn the hard way, I guess. Or maybe I, you know, I don't wanna be you know, overbearing as a husband, which we shouldn't be overbearing. We should be loving though, and love covers. That's what we do as husbands. We're supposed to cover and make sure that our families aren't being duped by the devil, bamboozled by Beelzebub. We shouldn't let that happen. Um, hopefully none of us are being duped as we speak. What are the five big plays? Well, let's go with first down. Um, this, is what he, this is what he runs on first down. Uh, you can jot this down. First down, dispute God's word. Let's go back to Genesis chapter three real quick. Uh, Genesis three is where we kind of read what Satan did this. In fact, you can see these old tricks right here in this very first temptation of humanity. Um, uh, first down, dispute God's word. We see that in verse one. Um, the very first thing he says, uh, you know, the first little words out of his little Lucifer lips, hath God said, that's the very first thing we hear of Satan from Satan in the Bible. Hath God said, does Satan ever question God's word? All the time, in every way, shape, and form. You can hear Satan questioning God's word today, daily. You can hear Satan questioning God's word in the churches of America today. That's the sad thing. The, the questioning of God's words become a popular thing in Christian universities and colleges. Questioning God's word, whether, well, is it really fully inspired? Hath God really said that you can't be homosexual, that that's a sin and abomination? Well, that's what God said over and over again in the Bible. There's six times in the Bible, the, the Bible's exceedingly clear about how homosexuality is an abomination before the Lord, it's a sin. But the, the, a lot of the church today, hath God really said that? No, we can kind of you know, twist a little of this and twist scripture here and twist scripture there. And I always like to remind you, if you twist scripture, you end up with twisted scripture. And that wasn't a band in the 80s. Um, you say, Brett, what, what are you talking about? Well, this idea of questioning, disputing, hath God really said, that's Satan's old, that's first down right there. Um, the problem is he gets his yardage out of that. <laughs> just, you know, just, just disputing, disputing, trying to raise questions. I'm reminded of this story that's told a woman, older woman in a Mercedes. N nice looking, but very petite and kind of proper looking woman. Um, the officer pulled her over for speeding. Ma'am, you know you're speeding? And she said, oh yeah, I, I see what you're doing. And he said, what do you mean? Can I see your driver's license? She says, I don't have a driver's license. 
well, where's your driver's license? She said, well, I, I lost it four years ago, drunk driving. Well, do you have a registration? No. Where's your registration? I stole this car. Um, it's not mine. You don't have a registration? Where'd you get the car? I stole it, and the guy that I stole it from, um, I killed him and I chopped him in pieces. He's in the trunk right now. At this time, the man starts backing away, the police officer, and he's put his hands on his, on his you know, pistol, and he's kind of a little, little freaked out by this lady. Um, but he, he you know, calls for backup, because this is kind of a sketchy deal. And just a couple minutes later, you know, a couple uh, police cars come in and enjoying the situation. And well, the, the commanding police officer came in and, and um, you know, he says, uh, could, could you step out of your vehicle, please, lady? Uh, and she does. And she pulled, brings out her little purse and she stands there very prim and proper. And uh, the, the second police officer says, you know, uh, is, uh, you, you know um, oh, she says, is there a problem, officer? And, and the, the second police officer says, well, you know, yes. Uh, one of my officers told me you've stolen this car and murdered the owner. Murdered the owner, she said. Um, yes, could you please open the trunk of the car? The woman goes back and opens the trunk of her car and there's nothing in there. Uh, 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 is this your car? Yes. Where's the registration? She pulls it out of her purse and hands it to him. Uh, do you have a driver's license? Yes. And she pulls out the driver's license. The officer's quite stunned. Um, one of my officers claimed that you do not have a driver's license, uh, and, and, uh, and, but here you got all this stuff. Uh, thank you, ma'am. Uh, I, I don't know what to do here. You know, she, he said you murdered and hacked up the owner. And the older woman, she said, I bet the liar told you I was speeding too. <laughs> I love that story. Confusion, lies, deception. You know, Satan comes off, uh, I've noticed, with his lies and deception as looking like prim and proper and kind. And, you know, it's amazing uh, how people get deceived so easily with what's going on, even in the worldview of things. You know, like um, the deception is across the boards. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm always amazed at what people think. Like when you're watching this Arab-Israeli conflict, the Hamas war right now that's going on down there, and the deception level, uh, people just don't know anything about history, about Israel, about what's going on there. And you can try to, you know, teach till you're blue in the face and show what happened in history. And, you know, and yet it's still this narrative, this narrative. And, and we're seeing biblically proportioned anti-Semitism around the world today that's leading us to what the Bible kind of talks about in the last days. And everybody's gonna hate the Jews and hate Jerusalem. Like, like we're seeing that happening right before our eyes. That's, that's a, it's a shock really, if you know the real history, but the narrative, genocide. Who believes all that? Sadly, tens of thousands of people are marching in New York City today um, and around uh, Washington, D.C. and Portland, Oregon. And there's just people that have been deceived so badly. But it's, it's amazing. They think they're so right about, well, they're murdering children. That's the narrative that's out there. And it's, uh, it's sad that children are dying, but uh, it's, it, you know, the truth of the matter is um, the Hamas have been shooting tens of thousands of rockets. I was there once in Israel when, while I was there, over 4,000 rockets flew from Hamas over the border into Israel, just 4,000 while I was there. Um, and you know, the Jews have been living under the threat of death to their children for 20 years with Gaza. And uh, it's a little bit of a shocker to see the world thinking that the Jews are committing genocide when really they're just trying to stop being shot up by rockets and, and having them annihilated. If there's anybody who's genocidal, um, or let's say what people in the world have been more 
targeted to be uh, ethnically cleansed than the Jewish people throughout all of history. And yet the world is just acting like, no, 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 the Jews are the genocidal ones. This is exactly what Satan does. He'll say, hath God really said, the Jews are my people? Hath God really said? And there's the questioning uh, that's always happening. Um, it's interesting, you know, the, the Satan will do that with you and, and you might even know, um, you know, scriptures. Um, but you'll kind of think, well, hath God really said, don't lay your treasures on this earth, but lay your treasures up in heaven and live more with the heaven. Hath God really said that? No, let's, let's get the big house and get lots of cars and money and be greedy and stuff. Like that's American way. Hath God really said that we're supposed to give to the poor? There's some of us question what God has said. Um, you're, you're weary and tired. Hath God really said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy? Like, like Satan just constantly will question the word of God, um, you know, uh, and people just kind of blow it off. So the first thing is to dispute, hath God really said. The second notion, the second down, if you would, that Satan will run this play, uh, the old distort God's word. If he, if he hasn't, you know, been successful in questioning or disputing God's word, secondly, he'll distort God's word. And that's what happens in this whole story. Check it out. Uh, in fact, you know what's interesting about this is it's not just Satan who's distorting, but Eve contributes to the distortion. Um, she does some bad math here. Uh, bad math? Um, yes. First she subtracts, then she adds. If you're talking about God's word, is it ever good to subtract from God's word or add to God's word? No, and this is something we have to all be very careful about, uh, you know, especially those of us that handle the word of God, not to leave stuff out. Um, but, um, but I see that happening all the time, by the way. Um, but Eve did not get this right. In fact, her, she subtracted something. When you look at uh, verse two, um, the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. She's already subtracted. Does anybody know what word she subtracted? Anybody? Freely. You see that? Uh, there's a big difference. Verse 16 of the chapter two, and the Lord God commanded the man, keep that in mind, by the way, who's the one who was given the commandment about all this? The man. He's the one who was given the rules by God. So he commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Now Eve's just saying, well, we can eat of that. Uh, you know, uh, we get to eat of, um, you know, see, remember, Satan says, hath God, you said you could eat every tree? And she said, we may eat of the fruit of the tree. She left out freely, so that's starting to subtract. Um, you know, by the way, what's the big difference between eating versus eating freely? Just the graciousness of God. One of the things Satan wants to remove from your mind is the gracious kindness of God. Um, he, if he can kind of chip away, I think, well, God did, he has been kind of stingy because we don't get to eat of that tree even though you get to eat freely of all the other trees, like that, that's, that's just the big hearted, loving, gracious God with Adam and Eve. But she took the word out and I, I think you can't do that with God's word. And then she added, um, uh, you, know, you know, it's funny, the subtraction's like the modern liberalist, but the adding is like the cultist. She says in verse two, um, and the woman said uh, to the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, um, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She added the neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that. If you go back and read the whole narrative, God didn't say you shouldn't touch it. Now, Brett, are you arguing they should have touched it? I'm not making that case. But she added to it. And, and sometimes I've noticed if, if the enemy can sort of chip away at God's grace, 
he will also try to chip away at saying, oh, God just wants to kill all the fun. You can't even touch the tree. Um, like, like that's one of the tactics of the enemy, to add to the word, to subtract to the word. That's what Eve does. Once you start messing with um, God's word, if you leave stuff out or add stuff to it, it distorts, distorts God's word. There's a distortion. I was reading about um, at the base of the Tetons in Wyoming. Uh, has anybody ever been to Jackson Lake, Wyoming? Some of you guys? Um, some of the most beautiful photographs that have ever been taken <laughs> uh, are at Jackson Lake. And the reason why is just the situation. Um, the, in the morning, particularly, the lake is just like glass. And up against the backdrop of the Grand, I'll just show you one picture. There's, you can find these all over the, uh, the internet. Uh, people, they say it's like one of the greatest uh, um, pictures or places to take pictures. But um, th this is kind of the idea, you know, the glassy uh, lake, and then you see the Grand Tetons, you know, reflected perfectly. And you know, there's thousands of these pictures because it's just, they call it one of the most photographic places on the earth. It's interesting though, you know, if you were standing on that shore and you took a, a, a rock, and you just started skipping it out on that uh, little you know, lake there, um, then it would take and distort the picture. Um, and that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to just throw the little rock in and distort, the, get the ripples and go. It still sort of looks like the word. It still has the same ideas, but it's just a little distorted. And that's one of the things Satan wants to do is he wants to distort the word of God. Eve gets it wrong. Whose fault is that? Adam's. It's Adam's fault. It was the man. Would you go back to Genesis 2, 15 there, back up in that chapter, and the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to keep it and uh, to dress it and to keep it. To dress it and to keep it. Um, the word keep means guard it. Question, what was Adam supposed to guard? I mean, the world was perfect at that point. What was Adam supposed to guard against? And you know, it might be obvious, but um, even though the, there was a perfection and Adam and Eve were sinless and the, everything was, the, you know, creation was not in a fallen, horrible state, everything's beautiful, but you're supposed to keep the garden. What was he supposed to keep? I think Adam's job maybe was singularly to watch out for the serpent, to guard against the serpent. Uh, that was his job and he dropped the ball, fumbled uh, on this job. Um, just like men are fumbling today, we're supposed to guard it and keep our garden, our family, our homes, our church. We're supposed to be guardians from the same serpent that was messing with Adam and Eve. Well, that brings us to third down. Third down, Satan runs the next play. If you can't you know, uh, get a first down disputing God's word or a first down distorting God's word, then he's gonna deny God's word altogether. Um, so he just started to question in verses two, uh, or, or actually verse one and two, but then he, he just downright denies it in, uh, in verse four. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Just flat denying what God said. Um, and when one begins to deny God's word, he's really setting himself up to be his own God. Do you understand that? Um, when you deny God's word, you're saying, I refuse to submit myself to a greater authority and especially the authority of the word of God. I hope you're not one of those guys that sort of, are, you're the, your own boss and you say, I don't let anybody or anything dictate what I believe or think. I find it really refreshing and great to not be my own boss. 
Um, now, I am sort of a boss in some ways. Uh, you know, we have about 150 people on staff here at church, and I've got an amazing team that works here at Athey Creek. And, um, and uh, you know, a church our size, that's a pretty mean and lean staff, believe it or not. You might say, wow, we have 150 people. Most churches of uh, over 10,000 people uh, have a lot more people than that. But uh, we have a hardworking staff. But, um, I, you know, being the boss is not always the funnest thing. Uh, I, I kind of, I, I miss the good old days when I was just one of the crew because um, it changes the relationship. But, but some, some guys, I've noticed that, um, that actually are bosses, they realize, yeah, it's not all that it's chalked up to be. You kind of miss the liberty. There's a liberty of being under someone else's authority because they're the ones who it kind of buck stops with them. You're there just more in a supportive role. It's great. Um, but once you're in charge, but see, I've found in life, you can try to be your own boss, but boy, that's a tall order. And you're gonna fail with that, by the way, guaranteed. But good news, we have something as men that we all are submitted to, hopefully, and that is the word of God. God is my boss, and he's a good boss at that. He knows what he's doing, he knows what I need to do, he gives me my marching orders, and the Bible is perfectly clear. The problem, when you're not a good employee, if you would. You know, we're supposed to be servants of the Most High God, that's our job. Um, but when you start denying God's word, do you understand what that looks like when God is in charge? I hope you're submitted to God's word. We've talked about submission in ironwork studies. That's, that's something we men should do better than, than even though people say, women submit to your husbands. No, uh, that's not the only thing of the Bible that it says. It says, submit yourselves one to another. And, and ultimately we should be submitted to God in a beautiful and perfect way. Um, you know, the, the Bible says, wives submit to your husbands even as unto the Lord. Um, just like the implication, we all are supposed to submit to the Lord. And as men, we need to be submitted to God's word. Um, this is the problem with so much of Christianity today is the denying of God's word. Well, you know, the whole thing I talked about, the long list of things, whether you're talking about sins that are, people are not calling sin anymore or attitudes that we hold or, you know, even politics, like it's amazing how quickly you can get your politics all tweaked out because you're not thinking biblically, you're just thinking more politically. Well, Brett, I like to have separation of church and state. Stupid, <laughs> totally stupid. Uh, I hope you're not one of those dupes who believe that you should separate church and state from your own personal Christianity. Um, I think that's, that's really, that's why we're, our nation is spiraling ever so quickly to oblivion. We're gonna see that continue unless something radical changes in the near future, guarantee. Um, it reminds me of what you know, Paul told Timothy and warned him about there in 2 Timothy 2, 4, 2, where he says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, which is teaching. And, and by the way, this is what we're trying to do here at Athey Creek. Verse two is what we're trying to do. We're trying to preach the word, not Brett's opinions, not Athey Creek's policies. No, we're wanting to preach the word. Who cares about Brett? Who cares about Athey Creek? We wanna have the word be our guide. Be instant, ready, in season and out of season. And what do you do with the preaching of the word? Reprove, re rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Patience is the word there. And with doctrine or teaching. For here it is, the time will come, and I would suggest it has, when they will not endure sound teaching, doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. In doing this, Paul's predicting, it's just denying God's word, saying we don't believe God's word. We're gonna, we're gonna believe our own things. 
And it's what, what, to fulfill your own personal lusts, to, to uh, make room for humanity's lusts. Isn't that interesting? You can trace whether it's homosexuality or greed or uh, whatever the sin might be. It goes back to the lustfulness of humanity, wanting to you know, do what they wanna do and not submit to the doctrine of the scripture. It's just a real clear rebellion. That's all it is, rebelling against the truth. And they're gonna turn away from the truth um, and will turn to fables like men can have babies and there's no such thing as a woman and that homosexuality is okay and whatever the lies are that people are buying into. Brett, you're just a hater. No, it's actually the, the opposite. Um, people are acting like these transgender uh, movements are so wonderful, but you know, I, we were predicting this like two years ago when transgenderism just started getting off the ground. We were predicting, watch what's gonna happen. These people that are gonna transition, just a few years later, I, I used to say, they're gonna realize they made a mistake. And have you guys seen the news and the books that are being written? There's books being written by the droves of people who were transitioned from male to female, and now they have huge regrets. Lawsuits are starting to happen. I, I predict it's only gonna get worse because you know some of these children that they were giving these uh, gender blockers and stuff, um, or you know, puberty blockers and stuff, those kids are gonna grow up and they're gonna be mad that their parents, that their school, that their doctors, um, not only allowed it, but encouraged it, sometimes even sort of forced it upon a seven-year-old. You mark my words, it's gonna get ugly. And it's because we've turned our ears from the truth and we, we only wanna do what makes everybody happy to fulfill their own lusts. Really sad. So, uh, you know, this is what's happening, denying that men should um, lead. By the way, the, the de denying of men leading the church is one of the beginning points of all the problems we're seeing today. If there would just be some godly men who would continue to rise up in the church of Jesus Christ, not being ogres, not being mean or, you know, grumpy or any of that, but being solid biblical men standing up against the lies of the enemy, the church would be so much healthier today but we just get this mamby-pamby Christianity where guys are afraid to speak. Well, my wife, uh, she's not on board with that, Brett. Um, it's time to be like Joshua, boys. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He didn't say, Joshua didn't say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right, honey? He didn't say that, <laughs> didn't do that. Um, I think men need to step up. Uh, I do love that you guys are here on a, on a Saturday morning, which, which encourages me because there's men that are seeking the word of God, seeking the truth. And man, if this group could only repeat itself, duplicate and get more men that are saying, we're gonna choose um, to not be duped by the enemy. Well, what down are we on? Fourth down, uh-oh, fourth down. If he hasn't already gotten a first down, which usually he has by this time, um, fourth down, uh, the, the fourth thing he's gonna do is displace God's word. And we see that in verse five. So there, there's one thing to deny God's word and say, yeah, that's not true. You will not die. But now he's gonna make stuff up. And I use the word displace because it means to take it out and deny the old, but then put in your own little weird, twisted wackoness. And that's what happens here in verse five. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. By the way, I, I can't say that you miss, miss this part. Did you notice that Satan doesn't, doesn't get that far off of truth? He's kind of close. In fact, if you're a nominal reader of the Bible, you might even say, well, he's kind of right, Brett. 
They did eat of the fruit and they didn't die. So God was wrong. But if you know the Bible, that's not what God was talking about. And Satan knows that he's just twisting the words. It's not that they would eat the fruit and like poison just kick over dead and their hearts stop. The, the idea is humanity, death was not supposed to be part of the thing. There was, in, in, before the eating of the fruit, there was not supposed to be death in the world. Um, that would have been nice. But because of that, death entered. As soon as they bit into the fruit, death, not just for Adam and Eve, but for you and me. Uh, 10 out of every 10 people die. The statistics on death are shocking. It's because of the garden that that happened. So God was right, Satan was wrong, but man, it's funny how it looked like he was kind of right. Oh, look, we ate of the fruit, we're still kicking. And even this whole thing of eating of the tree of knowledge, were their eyes opened? Yes. My question is, was that a good thing? And I think it's obvious that it wasn't. Their eyes were opened and suddenly, what's the first thing they noticed? They were naked and they were ashamed. You know, it's interesting. I wonder what the Garden of Eden was like before the fall because they were walking around naked and they weren't ashamed. They were just having a good old time in the garden. I mean, humanity was, they were just a man and woman naked in the garden, have a nice day. That, that sounds like a pretty pleasant afternoon. <laughs> Husband and wife, naked, hanging out. Um, soon as they ate, oh, honey, you don't have any clothes on. Neither do you. Let's find some fig leaves. Like, like that's, just a, that's just sad. The whole thing's so sad because their eyes were open. See, Satan gets it right, sort of, but that's exactly what Satan does. He takes just a little bit of truth and just tweaks it and makes it sound better than it really is, but it's not. It's actually a lie. It's part of his lying. He doesn't just often boldly say something so often. Now, now by the way, I think that that's changed a little bit. Today, humanity is so stupid, he'll just boldly say stuff that's just totally opposite of what is true. And people go, oh yeah, we believe that. It's shocking how easily you know, we're, we're fooled by the enemy. Um, and like Satan, it's amazing how people will just make stuff up. Um, you know, I like to think of God as just being so loving that there's no such place as hell. Well, where'd you get that? My little puny brain. I just made it up because I kind of like to think that. That phrase, I like to think that God is this. Like the whole I like to think thing is just so, if it wasn't so tragic, it's really laughable. Just because you like to think something doesn't make it true. And, and yet people do that all the time. Um, I've got one more, um, not only the fourth down. Um, let's, let's suppose, sadly, Satan makes a touchdown, which he does, sadly, all the time. Um, what's after fourth down? PAT, man, right? So that's, that's, that's the one we're on now. We're at the point after a touchdown. Uh, number five, disobedience. See, that's the next thing that happens. Um, this is where everything in the world began to fall apart. It wasn't just the temptation to chomp the fruit. It was the disobedience that was actually there. First John 2, 16, for all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And this is what happened. She saw that the, the, the fruit, fruit was, a, fruit was a t attractive, good to eat. There was a, that lust of the eyes kind of thing going on. And, you know, the, the thing is this, is, this is where such failure happens, when we just plain old disobey God's word. And that's where humanity, we're in total rebellion against the Lord. Um, what's the way to do that? How do we stay away from that? Well, we already saw Nehemiah, who was bold, and he smelled the rat. 
And he says, I'm not gonna leave the work that I'm supposed to do because I know you're, you've, got, you've got treachery. You're, you're wanting to mess with me and you're wanting to derail me. So he didn't give him the time of day. But I love also how Nehemiah then turned to the Lord and said, Lord, strengthen my hands. What a great example Nehemiah was. Better than Nehemiah was Jesus under temptation. And we've done studies even fairly recently on that, haven't we? Where Matthew chapter four, for example, uh, Luke chapter four, where Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And every single time Jesus was tempted, what did he do, guys? It is written. He, his scriptures, what, what ammo did he have? I love it, the, the, you know, the Bible says we're in the spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. And the one offensive weapon we've been given is the sword of the spirit. It's a weapon that we're supposed to use. And Jesus used it. He's being attacked by Satan, so he uses the weapon of scripture. How are you doing on your ammo supplies? Are you, guys, are you guys ready for battle? Uh, do you have your ammo? Uh, Brett, what are you talking about? Well, I always call them ammo scriptures because man, we're doing battle. And I think there's some guys that just don't have ammo. Uh, okay, I'm being tempted sexually, what do I do? Um, do you have ammo scriptures like Jesus had? It is written, ta 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 Was he, Are you ready to roll with that? Because I believe that's the whole secret right there. Are you tempted to disobey God? To be disobedient to God? That's where you break out your 308. Huh? Winchester? No. Deuteronomy 308. <laughs> Thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command thee to say. Do you have a 308 scripture in your memory bank so that when you're tempted to disobey, you go, oh, I'm gonna 308 that one. Um, oh, what are, do, you, do you have your 223? I just thought of this last night at midnight, so it's not that great, but First um, Peter 2, 2, 2, 2, 3, 2 23. Um, uh, you know, if, if you're tempted to, to retaliate uh, or get vengeance on someone, First uh, Peter 2, 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. <laughs> Do you feel guilty? That's where you get out your nine millimeter First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, like leaving your cell phone on during a men's uh, study. Uh, if, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, are you being tempted sexually to lust, to give in to the, do you have an ammo scripture for that? James, this is your 12 gauge right here. Um, James says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he has tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which is, which the Lord promised to those that love him. That's your, uh, that's your 12 gauge for James 1, 12. Um, I always bring this up because I, I think it's important for us as guys to be like Nehemiah, to know what to do when we're being tempted and be bamboozled by Beelzebub. You gotta have the scripture. Jesus was tempted radically there and every time he had scripture. Um, it's interesting to me that when Jesus quoted scripture, then Satan started quoting scripture back. Remember that whole thing? Um, it's interesting to me that Satan knows scripture too. So you, you kinda, it's not only that you need to have your scripture, but kinda know what it means. Um, you know, there in Matthew chapter four, you know, when Satan was, uh, you know, Jesus, um, he was trying to tempt him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Remember that story? 
Um, and Jesus you know, said, it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning the, um, Satan said. Uh, now, now, he's, now Satan's quoting scripture at Jesus. He will give his ch angels charge over thee, um, and, uh, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time they'll dash thy foot against the stone. But Satan, when he quotes the scripture from the Psalms there, he leaves out, to keep thee in all thy ways. He leaves that out because that doesn't fit his agenda. So he leaves that, he did the same thing at Eve of subtracting scripture. Um, watch out because Satan plays the game and one of his things is to, you know, distort God's word and tweak it out. So not only to just have a scripture to, to you know, ammo scripture to speak out, that's good, but also to have somewhat of a grasp on scripture. What's the best way to do that? Be here studying the word with Athey Creek. Go Wednesday night or at least at home, watch online or catch up as, as, as you can through the Bible. Become more familiar with scripture. Um, do personal devotional reading in the morning, studying scripture, any chance you get a chance to, to familiarize. Um, you know, read the Bible. Uh, we're, we're so spoiled today. There's no excuse for a guy not to understand the scriptures. Um, there's so many study aids, tools, teaching that's available, um, you know, commentaries. Logos Bible software, like, like if, you, if you've ever looked at Logos Bible software, we have no excuse uh, to be dumb any longer. It makes, it makes studying the Bible just, there's so many resources that we have and language studies and it's just, it's, it's, there's no excuse for us. You can even have it on your phone. Uh, you know, a lot of guys get stumbled by their phones because of the bad stuff that's on there. Are you using, you know, using technology for the good? Because there's a lot of great tools to study. The, if you don't have money for Logos, look at Blue Letter Bible. Uh, just go to blueletterbible.com and it's free. And it's a great study help, uh, studying the scriptures. Um, there's so many things. Uh, have you ever looked up got questions? Uh, if you see got questions online, you know, I, I can't say I agree with 100% of what they say, but on all the essential stuff, I totally agree with them. And they're really solid for the most part. All the got question answers are pretty good. Uh, if you're just wondering, oh, you know, what does the Bible mean? Or what is Calvinism? What is Arminianism? What is all the, like all the stuff people debate about it. Like there's so many ways to, to study the scripture and learn and, and, and grow. I think that we as men need to take up the challenge to be not so easily buffooned, bamboozled by Beelzebub. Don't be duped. Duped dudes, that's what's happening today. And it's so sad because I'm seeing people who were once even sharper and once maybe at least somewhat aware, I'm seeing solid guys who have now sort of fallen in the area of being deceived. You know, it, it, it doesn't surprise me, honestly. You know, I've been, I've been sort of bashing away. Some people say, why do you always talk bad about some people, you know? Uh, I think as a, as a pastor, I'm supposed to watch and warn the congregation for, for guys that are starting to be like wolves in sheep clothing. So like when I mention Andy Stanley, it's not that I'm trying to be mean to Andy Stanley, but when Andy Stanley made the statement, you know, years ago, four years ago, I don't know how long it was, but we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. I knew we were in trouble with him at that moment. As soon as you unhitch yourself from the Old Testament, you're in big trouble. His father didn't unhitch himself from the, if you know Charles Stanley, um, but his son unhitched himself from the Old Testament and I knew more is coming and sure enough, this past month or two, He's now engaging more in the LGBTQ and, and accepting and, and inviting that in to normalcy in Christianity. Um, and it's shocking, it's, it's sad because he was once from a more solid background. And that's just one example of, of pastors that are caving in 
to the deception of the evil one. And it's heartbreaking. We should be praying for these pastors, praying for these churches. Um, I'm finding uh, to be an old school Christian pastor that preaches the Bible, we used to be in kind of a group of, well, at least we're all in the solid, you know, pale of orthodoxy group, you know, all the pastors that would stick to the truth. There was like a huge group that would say, not that, you know, and, and it would be easy recognizable that, that that person is stepping outside of the pale of orthodoxy. Um, it was easy, but it's happening so bad today that the pastors that are, that are holding strong to the scripture, inerrancy, infallibility of scripture, and, and just submitting to the word of God completely, they're becoming farther and fewer between. We're becoming the lesser and the people that everybody's bashing now, uh, making fun of because, well, those, those guys are fundamentalists, literalists of the Bible, um, and, and that people love to mock that. We used to be on the mainstream, but it's not as much anymore. And it's because I think men that should have been standing up and not giving in to the deception, they've just kind of been apathetic. I hope, Athey Creekers, that we would be men that are gonna stand our ground, even if it costs you. Even if people make fun of you for being a fundamentalist Christian or a person who believes in the Bible um, uh, and takes it literally. Uh, I'd rather go down in flames with that than to uh, stand around being wishy-washy and only furthering the deceptions of the devil. Don't be duped, dudes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, I pray that this group of men might be able to go from this place um, more committed than ever to your word, to the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that we'd be guardians. Uh, we see where Adam dropped the ball there in the garden when he wasn't covering his wife and would just allow her to get off on the tangent that was so wacko. Uh, and Lord, we see that tendency within our own homes where we can find ourselves allowing things with our kids and our family and our homes that have no business being there, and the apathy of men, just to stand off and hope things work out. Lord, give us a, a Joshua mentality. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Give us a boldness. Um, give us an ability to understand and apply your scripture rightly to everything in our lives. Um, Lord, we, we don't wanna be duped, so give us a discerning spirit. May your spirit come upon these guys in a radical way that they'd have that discernment to see when things are the Sanblatt and Tobias. Lord, I pray that we would recognize, like Nehemiah, the real intent, and that we wouldn't get caught up in their trickery. So give us wisdom. Bless my brothers, I pray. Um, and we ask all these things, knowing you've heard our prayer, in Jesus' name, amen.